It's Wednesday, July 19th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 450 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and three minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. Still waiting. My name is Chad. All right, so Brodor, the white whale. Uh, The white whale. So... At dinner, we were talking. They and I, call me Brodor. They call me Brodor. If Brodor's <laughs> chest was a cannon, it would have fired his heart at him. Goodness, so, that's graphic. Uh, that's graphic. So basically, Brodor doesn't have a heart. I was, I was or a chest cannon. I was asking. Shut up, Brodor. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking the question: Is do you guys have a white whale? A game that you have always wanted to run and get off the ground, but it's never come to fruition. Right, which led me to a question of, well, there's a lot of questions, like, because he kind of mumbled, and we were like, so, what, do you mean play-in? And then he's like, no, no, oh, do you mean write, or do you mean publish? Yeah. Mean, yeah. And so and that, that, that was, it ate up like half it, an hour trying to figure that out. It broke down, <laughs> it broke down to three questions. It was like ten minutes. <laughs> Are you talking about games we wanted to play in but have never had the chance, games we've wanted to run but never had the chance, or games that we want to publish, and I can't say I haven't had the chance, but I haven't gotten off our asses and done yet. And so it, it kind of subdivided into three questions. So let's toy with this, all right, and let's see where this goes. And I do have a, a more advice-driven gaming topic, so we'll see how long this runs. I don't know if this will be a bonus or regular episode. But my answer to all three was yes. So which one were you actually asking? So initially, because I am game master centric and I prefer to game master than to be a player, uh-huh. my question initially was game master centric. Is there a game that you have wanted to, when I said produce, I don't mean produce professionally or for the industry, but I meant a game that you want to produce for your particular game group. A game you want to run. A game you want to run. Right. That you've just never gotten off of the ground for one reason or another. Yes. I said my answer to all three is yes, but we'll start with that one. Mine should be pretty well known by this point, Ultima. I thought you were going to say Wemic. Wemic. Run, play, design, Wemic. Yes, the Wemic source book is coming. But... (laughs) Epoch of Waymick. <laughs> skies of Waymick. Epoch of Skies of Waymick. It, it's coming. The oblivious right? ascension of uh, Waymick. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> All these games are coming. No, but the one that I've always wanted to GM is an Ultima game based on the Ultima series. When I, I floated this on the most recent show where it came up, John, of course, immediately went to Ultima Online and the Grief Play because that's where, you know, that, that's John's it's his jam. Yeah, that's his jam. But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like Ultima 8, Ultima 9, Ultima 7, you know, stuff like that. So mine's Ultima. Brodor, what is yours? You know, I have to say that, uh, you know, here I fall victim to the new shiny. Like, I, I have a constantly rotating cast of games that I that I want to run. But right now, it is Savage Worlds Werewolf Wild West. So they did mm-hmm. some dimes. What? Yeah, right? So years ago, back when Deadlands was in its original incarnation before it went to the Savage Worlds version of Deadlands, hell, before Savage Worlds, back when Werewolf was a thing and during Werewolf Wild West, they had produced three dime store novels that are basically a module series for Werewolf Wild West, but in Deadlands, and it had mechanics for Deadlands, right? So I want to do 
that game. I want to do Savage Worlds in the Deadlands setting with Werewolf, with Werewolf mm-hmm. Wild West, like that. But it's so much conversion and work and effort that it would never be done. But that's what I have a boner for at the moment. Wayne? So for me, it's I've always wanted to run a zombie game. Okay. In particular, what I want to do is I want to take the quiet year, use that to create the world, mm-hmm. create the city that everyone is going to be in, the whatever that encampment is. And the focus of the zombie game would be rebuilding. So you've had that year. Basically, I want to start off with like a one shot of when everything goes bad, Mm -hmm. run it into a quiet year to cover that next year to build the basics of the town. So a zombie version of Microscope. Kind of, but using three different systems to do, you know, the first one could do well. (laughs) (laughs) That is opinion. I am not a fan of Microscope. Sure. Not well, at all. I've not, I've not actually played there, There's a couple world-building yeah. games. Yeah. Microscope's only one right. of them. Yeah. But I want, for the first game, I want everyone to have characters. We'd be running All Flesh Must Be Eaten, and it would be a serious... The zombie apocalypse has just broken out. Okay. So that would be a one-shot. Okay. Then it would be the quiet year to create mm-hmm. over the course of the next year. And then after that, it would move into... I'm not sure what system I would want to go into after that. Maybe All Flesh Must Be Eaten would be a good one for that, but... No, you got to do three, though. Yeah, because I was thinking yeah. a different system for the third part. Because the third part's focus isn't on the zombies as much. Right. They're out there. They're the setting. The third part focus is the character interaction, right. the other people, and it's about rebuilding society. It's not about survival. So right. You, to use, you can do something like Fate, I guess. I was going to say Fate was going to yeah. be my suggestion. Yeah, very character-driven. Because so, it's the entire cycle of the zombie story. You have the outbreak, the... Mm-hmm survival, and then you have the rebuild. And the rebuild is where the campaign is. Everything else are the one-shots that lead up to the campaign. For anyone who's not familiar with games like Microscope, there are games where the objective is to build a setting. So you collaboratively build the setting. You know, talking. And it's very gamified. Too. It is very yeah. gamified, yes. And there's several games like this, but just in case you're not following the concept, what Wayne's talking about is run a role-playing game for the zombie outbreak. Yep. Run a world different building. a world-building game yep. to determine what the settlement looks like. And the one I chose was is a quiet year because I want to I want to run it. I want to play it, but also because it's a map-building game. Right. Mm. So when it's done, yeah. you have a physical sheet of paper with a map mm. that is then your town. And then a third role-playing game to handle thereafter. So, Wayne, before I give you my buy-in or don't, I have one question. Yeah. Can I play myself? Yeah. A Weemick. <laughs> yeah, can I play me as a Weemick with, <laughs> with Gnarl riding on the Weemick's back? <laughs> can I play myself? Okay. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to have someone play themselves. Out freaking standing. I'm totally in on this. Mm. Chad? I don't really have one. I'm very much kind of the whim of the moment uh, as far as, like, the games I want to run. You know, that that's true. I was about to say mm-hmm. I know this isn't true because I've seen you get shot down. Sure. But the fact that you let things go and move on very yeah. quickly, 100% true. Yeah, yeah I've I, got my list of whim of the moment games I want to run, too. Yeah. What's I know one of them you want to run at the moment is uh, Lasers and Feelings. Oh, well, yeah. I mean... Uh, but that's not I, an always one. That's right. Just a... I, I played Lasers and Feelings at Fear the Con. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I had read the rules before. And I, for some reason, I just didn't quite get it, you know? And uh, But then I played it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, here's the yeah. secret sauce I was missing, of Whereas, course. like, 
I've been wanting to run Ultima since before Fear of the Boot was a twinkle in my eye. Yeah. But so, like a year from now, if I don't ever get to run Lasers and Feelings, I won't care. So, I will say that I have been thinking every once in a while my head turns to a game that it, it isn't that there's no system, right? Uh, it can be any system that would fit it. And it's no published setting or anything. I've always kind of thought about running a Western, like just a straight up, what, not a weird West, not anything like that. Like an aces and eights yeah. style, right? Yeah. yeah. Like a, like a Western, right. And not like the gritty real historical West either, where right. everybody's an illiterate cow puncher, but gunfights in the street and that sort of thing. Like, like John Wayne Westerns, that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I, I really enjoy those old school Westerns. I've pitched it a couple of times and just with various different groups and nobody really seems excited about it, which is... I would be. Yeah. But I also get a lot of that feel from Skies of Glass. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I think a Western would be fun because I've enjoyed Skies of Glass and some Mm -hmm. of it... You know, that first Skies of Glass campaign was very Western-like. Yeah. You know what we ought to do? And this is just me pontificating. This is not a commitment. But you know what we ought to do is in the off weeks, is we only do the Skies of Glass AP every other week. In those off weeks, if everyone's available, we ought to do these other games as one-shots. Like, give everyone a chance. Like, be like, all right, you got one week. Do Get it out of your system, right? Get that done. All right. No, it's a terrible idea. We're shooting it down. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, if I if I did that, then I wouldn't run my White Whale. I would run my Gestalt Dream, where I play Pathfinder Gestalt. Where, you know the Gestalt where you get you know pick yeah. two classes, but one of your classes must be monk. So we run <laughs> in the Jade Empire, so everybody is monk fighter or monk sorcerer or monk thief or monk ninja or monk alchemist or monk, monk wizard bard. monk bard. What about monk monk? I was going to no, say what about monk monk? A monk monk doesn't work. You got to pick mm. an alternate class. You have to have two separate classes. But I would love to run a Jade Empire Pathfinder Gestalt game where you know big sort of you know Chinese action theater. Everyone is monk and. Hmm. All right. So the second one. What do you want to play? And my answer is not a game where I'm away, because this is more of a running joke. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> I want to play Mr. Freeze, preferably set in Injustice Gods Among Us. There's other setups I would do, but my preferred one would be Injustice Gods Among Us. Why don't you just spend your podcasting millions that you're making and like yes. cosplay a really professionally done Mr. Freeze costume. Because that money's all going to a Naro costume. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually I'm going to have to get a Weymouth costume for a horse I can ride around. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Well, you've already got the horses, the stable, and the stable hands. Right. So, yeah, you're just well on your way. That's just in the foyer. I have yet to find my way out of the first room (laughs) of the house. This is like a really bad mist game. All right, so, (laughs) Brodart. Honestly, anything L5R. I love L5R, but I don't I don't particularly care to run L5R, but I really, really enjoy playing L5R. So pretty much anything early, and I don't necessarily mean rules edition-wise, but early L5R era-wise in terms of time frame of the traditional L5R world, I would love the opportunity to play that again. Some of my favorite gaming experiences as a player have been playing L5R. So, yeah, definitely that. I want to play in a Transformers campaign. That we can do. Brodor, I'm not running L5R for you. <laughs> Wayne, that one I will totally do for you. Yeah, I've I've had the chance now to play in the two one-shots of your Transformer system, and I like the system a lot. 
I love your knowledge of the Transformers property. It hits so much nostalgia for me, but it's also just fun being big, giant robots that change into things. But you can actually destroy stuff. Because in the cartoon, they don't really die very often. Unless they need a new line of toys. Yeah. And now, Wayne, unlike the Ultima game, that's not my, as Rotor's calling it, the White Whale. That's, that, that's not my Moby Dick. But... It's your spotted dick. <laughs> I have one of those. I'm not surprised. I have freckles everywhere. I, it, it's everywhere. not my Moby Dick. It's like my dead mouse dick. <laughs> and so I, I, I would totally run that for you. Chat? Whatever, man. I'm open for anything. I mean, I hate to say it. it for me, it's the experience. No, it's not I, the lead in. I know. It's, you know, I, and I don't, I'm not saying this to be contrary or difficult no. or anything like that. I love having Game Masters pitch ideas because... I don't get good ideas from a vacuum. My ideas come when somebody pitches something. Like, John is running this dwarf game, right? Yeah. And he said, dwarf game. And I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm in, but let's hear it. And then somebody started pitching ideas, and I'm just like, well, what about this? And they said this and this. And now I'm like, well, this and this. And hey, we can do this. And what about this? And then boop, 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 boop. And then I've got an interesting character. Now I have buy-in. But, you know, just me wanting to play what? You know, I don't know, vampires. Cowboys, samurais, spacemen, aliens, gods. I don't know. What do you got? What do you got for me? You pitch something to me, and then I'll make it sing. We'll work together, and I will make a great character that integrates in the world, gives you tons of plot hooks, and expands everything, because I'd love to collaborate. That's what I love. That's what I want to do. And that's where you and I are so opposite, because just in the course of sitting here having this conversation, I've thought of four different games that I really, really want to play that I'll probably never get off the ground. Mm. Like Mm. what? What Like, for example, I want to do, so I want to take my current 5th edition D&D game, and I want to take the Majocracy city-state of Volcar, and I want to actually run Inspectors, and I want to base it on the comic book maintenance. And so the idea of maintenance is, is that you are custodians for these mad scientists, right? So in this game, we would do inspectors mechanics, but you would actually play the custodians for these three wizard towers for this mageocracy, right? So you would go and you would clean up the Odiug pits and, you know, make sure, you know, clean up potion spills and bullshit like that and have wackies <laughs> in the hazmat team. Right, right, right. Nice. But you're also like the lowest level of sort of plebeian worker. Yeah, I'd play that. That, that sounds like fun. That's an awesome comic, too. Yeah, it's great. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a comic that I read that where it's basically like there's Voltron type thing, big giant robot. And these guys are the guys that run around and fix it when there's damage. And it was kind of the same concept as that of, yeah, there's the big stuff going on out yeah, there. Who polishes the blazing sword. Yeah. <laughs> when the monster shoots acid and it you know eats inside. Who's dealing with that? Yeah. What are your other three? Oh my goodness gracious. Now Dan's got questions to ask. So I there's I've got a I've got a Star Wars game that I would love to pick up right where I left off, which again it's it would be a very, very boring story. But essentially but at the at the end of the campaign, the Praxium, basically the Jedi college ship, was attacked by the by elements of the Imperial Remnant and destroyed, and so all of these sort of, you know, Jedi adjunct professors, students, etc., are basically zipping away in escape pods as they're watching this essentially, you know, space college of theirs that they fly around the universe in, you know, being destroyed, right? I would love to play a group of students of young Jedi who are not even quite yet Padawan who have to survive 
you know, on their own and sort of make it back to and un- unravel conspiracies with Imperial Remnant and that sort of thing. But hmm. I ended a Star Wars game and it was the last session we ever did. And that game sort of went into the crapper. And I've always pined to go back to that. And I think to reach I reach into that toilet, right past the big turds and pull this. Right, right. That rank. quarter that I swallowed six weeks ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, it finally <laughs> came out, right? Yeah, that's that's sort of where where I'm at. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, what are your other two? Oh, my God, you're going to put me on the spot. Absolutely. So I have been... Because I've got nothing for this episode, so I'm making you talk. I have been very, very hungry to run Knights Black Agents. I love the idea of modern-day espionage, but with the vampire twist. So Hmm. I've been very, very hungry to play that. Um, And then lastly, I'm so excited for Satanic Panic, (laughs) I can't even see straight mm. so when my current fifth edition D game is done i don't know what i'm gonna do next right yeah. but. my game of the moment right now that i'm wanting to run is masks which is an apocalypse world based game about teenage superheroes hmm. the gives you have to be a teenager you don't kill and uh your powers you don't have complete control over them because you're a teenager hmm. and what i like are the stats unlike a lot of the apocalypse world games the stats change a lot because you're a moody teenager so, you know, some days you come in and you feel really super heroic. Other days you come in, you feel like a freak. You know, now that I'm sitting here, I have to say, I think another reason why I don't have any big drive to play a particular game is because the only games that I really want to play are Wayne's Wonderful Dresden game, which I am playing, and Dan's Wonderful Skies of Glass yeah. game, which he has kept from me for so long. Guys, now he's <laughs> opened them up. So... I have arrived. Yeah. I am at this level of nirvana where I have no wants. Skies of Glass all is this always riches. on my list. Skies of Glass is on my list to run and to play at all mm-hmm. times. Now I'm playing it, so I'm, yeah. I've got my okay. fix at the moment. All right, so I'm RPG Buddha right now. So let's... <laughs> Yo, you're very mindful. Yeah. 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 I, I'm never, handsome, too. I never have been, either. <laughs> all right. So then the, I think you're handsome. No, you're mindful. Sweet. So then yeah. the third and final take on the question, what RPG is it you want to... Find the focus to get off your ass right and get out there. For me, Apocryphos. Chad and I have one we're actually working on, which is yes. Spiders of My Mind. Might be a one-shot AP coming up mm-hmm. already between the Skies of Glass games. We just got to hurt some cats. So I've only ever, quote-unquote, written one role-playing game, and that's more... It's more a dissertation on role-playing game philosophy than it is actual mechanics, right? One of the things that I've always had a desire to do is sort of inspired by two things. One, the old Marvel role-playing game Diceless System, um, and then the role-playing game Amber, where it is a lot of not necessarily infighting, but a lot of personal desire personal ambition, personal drive. I've always wanted to have a game where you had an internal economy. So we're not actually rolling dice or necessarily have statistics and numbers of that degree, but we necessarily have abilities, you know, knowledges, resources, etc. And you have a pile of chips or money or whatever, where the game has an internal economy. And what you're doing is you are literally spending influence to achieve things, whether that influence is financial, whether that influence is knowledge and reliquaries and other artifacts or 
whether that is the might of your military or what have you, but essentially everything that you wanted to accomplish would be based on the cost of expending a particular resource. But then the game would have a finite economy where you would be spending resource and then giving resource to other players or to the game master, and then they're doing things. And that influence is constantly shifting inside the game. And we might, you know, we might be lords of some kingdom, or we might be, you know, a powerful, you know, military general of, uh, you know, some junta or what have you. You know, that kind of thing where it's more about what am I willing to spend to accomplish this versus the luck of a particularly random number generator. I've got nothing on this one. I mean, for me, when I look out at systems, there's a lot of systems I still want to run and try. And to want to make a game, because I have a few times in the past, it's always been because I didn't feel like there was something out there that met what I was looking for. Right now, there are so many things I want to try that I don't have that problem. So there's, yeah, I don't have any novel mechanic that I just want to seek it yeah, out there. I don't For have... me, it's not mechanic, it's setting. And for me, setting setting and system are really two separate things to me. A setting I really like or a setting that's in my head, I can attach that to a system that already right. exists. If I look at the Epoch of Risos, are there systems out there that would do exactly what I want? The answer is no. I'd have to homebrew it. But, but I bet Traveler could get close. Well, and even, even things like Savage Worlds and such with some tweaking, they get close enough that it's not the system. It's really more the setting than it is the system. Right. And so, I mean, I could conceivably hack some system and say, okay, you know, this is what I'm going to use. So I would prefer to homebrew a system, but it's, it's much more about the setting. After uh, Spires of My Mind is done, I have one game that is partially written that I would like to finish, and then I have another game where I have the concepts lined out that I would start in on that. No, I'm not telling you anything about them. What about <laughs> hacking? What about, you know, so for example, we have Apocalypse World and there are so many Apocalypse World hacks. Is there any game that you guys want to just hack it? Because I, I have an answer for sure. Apocalypse World is one I would I would want to do. And I've, I thought about doing it before just for one shots. Like I wanted to do a Power Rangers game. I was trying to think what would be a good system to throw into that. But yeah, yeah, I like some some of the Apocalypse World games that have been out there have been really good. Like the one that you ran. Blades? Uh, Blades in the Dark. Really good, solid system. I like it. I love Monster Hearts. I Diaspora think, sucked. I think Masks will be really good. I have, I've only heard actual plays. So the, I think that would probably be it for me because I've seen a lot of really good things come out of it. I've hacked Dread twice. Yeah. And to success, to happiness, and I enjoy doing it. Uh, I don't really want to hack games anymore. I just want to do my own thing. Sure. So that's what we're doing with Spiders, and then the two other games I have are its own thing as well. See, I want to take No Thank You Evil, the kids game, <laughs> and I want to do where you're mad scientists and say evil, yes, please. <laughs> so evil, question mark, yes, please, exclamation point. That's the game Still I want for to run. kids? So I'm thinking... Sure. So I'm <laughs> sure. sure. Why not? <laughs> Just don't flip to page 69. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking about hacking it and maybe trying my hat at it at the next Fear of the Con, mm -hmm. yeah, assuming such a thing occurs. But... I want to see you hack Fatal. <laughs>
With, with a hatchet uh, and lighter fluid. Yeah, I don't uh, care what you do with it. I just want to see uh, you hack it. Uh, make, it make it completely G-rated. Like, <laughs> like with the exception of you still have to roll up your anal circumference. Uh, yeah. It's completely but, but, G-rated game. Right. You still it's need to know. You have yeah. to know. It, it, Otherwise, it's not fatal. It, no twists on it. No you know, kind of dark contortions to it. Fatal My Little Pony. Played exactly as the My Little Pony cartoon. Once again, no subversiveness. No but you know the diameter it. of the pony's chocolate starfish. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just something you need to know to get into know. character. Right, right, right exactly. Right. How I, can you truly get into character if you don't know the <laughs> comforts? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I I do not have the ability to do such a thing. I think that when I opened up the Fatal book after I, you know... You, you know, wiped away the sweat from all the, you know, uncontrollable vomiting. I, I, I think I'd probably find a really solid game. Yeah. Orc tribe that worships gore. That would be the game that I run in Fatal. There you go. Is that much, you know, much like Allah, the gods must be crazy. They find some old cassette right. of, of uh, you know, America must be destroyed mm-hmm. or hello or what have scummed out to the universe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's quite a jump yeah. in title. Yeah. <laughs> America must be destroyed or Hello. So, <laughs> hello's, hello's their first album, then Scum Dogs of the Universe, and then I think America Must Be Destroyed. But a group of orcs that mm-hmm. worship gore in the fatal mechanics, I think that's a game I could run. There you go. There's five. Boom. <laughs> you, know that, you know they made a gore miniatures warfare game. It's supposed I, so to be awful. One of the great regrets of my life is I had the gore miniatures game, and I put them in an old fantasy shop used gaming auction, mm. and I regret not having those miniatures. I'm very, very sad about it. The game was wretched, but the miniatures <laughs> were... Sh- the, the kids still say on fleek, because that's what the miniatures were. I have no idea what that means. You, so should, probably, make, yes. you should make your own, called Gorka Morka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually, now that I think about it, I got to run one of my games that was on my list. Really? One of the first games I ever bought for role-playing game. I think I got it at like a V-Stock or something. It was probably, it was before V-Stock. Or it was one of those used bookstores. I found... Batman the role-playing game. Just Batman. Just Batman. Just play Batman in all of his incarnations. It's Batman the role-playing game. And I actually kind of like your Robin's idea better, but... That's the game I'm talking about. Oh, okay. That was the system I used for. Oh, did you? It was the DC Hero system from ah. the 80s. But they said the one I had was released in 1989 with the release of Batman the motion picture. Mm. So I bought this because it's Batman the role-playing game. Of course I'm going to buy it. I'm going to put it on a shelf. Always wanted the opportunity to run it, never came up. So at Fear the Con, I was running the Robins game where everyone was somebody who had been a Robin. And was like, what system am I going to run this in? Batman the role playing game. So I finally got a chance because I hate having books and not knowing that I will never use them. But I bought it. It was one of the first books I ever bought. It's like, I know I will never run this. And I got to run it. So I finally did mark one of them off my list. Dreams really can come true. Nightmares or dreams. Right. <laughs> I heard it was a good game. I, I Everyone I talked to really enjoyed it. I was very happy with how it turned out. Mm-hmm. So, gaming topic. Before I get to that, I want to get say one I thought one this of, was the gaming topic. No. We could beat this dead horse. I could ask Brodor more questions. I, I, I could come up with more games that I want to play. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, first of all, I want to pause here for a moment to say a huge thanks to a guy by the name of Chris Torres. I, I assume I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. But he was the sexy Bostonian. Yes, yes, he's one of the backers on our Patreon, and I ran the Transformers game. It was specifically for him 
We and, stole so much money in a game we played together. It was wonderful. Well, actually, there was just no money there. But we'd break into safes. He, he while we were at Fear the Con, he told me he had something for me, and I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, he did. And <laughs> he he brought me into his hotel room an unopened and... copy of the Star Trek: The Next Generation Enterprise blueprints. Mm-hmm. Which I was very, very grateful for because I'm a Star Trek fan. And Carla, in particular, she's a huge Next Generation fan. So I was very, very grateful for that. And, of course, also very grateful for his support of the show. And he then sent us several more copies of that. Because he apparently used to run a game shop or a bookstore or something to that effect. And had a bunch of additional copies he'd never been able to offload. Sent them to us along with some signed photo cells or whatever they're called from the original series. So like, you know, the, the film frames from the original series and then some Star Trek coasters. So I want to say a huge thank you. I, you know, I have no idea what this stuff is worth, but Chris, thank you so much for your support of the show and, and for the stuff that you sent me. I appreciate that. Carl and I both appreciate that a lot. All right. So, the game topic, I actually kind of teased this. I don't remember if it was in 449 or if it was in the negative episode that recorded at the same time. But, <laughs> no. I was just thinking about son of Bukapi. <laughs> Bride of Bukapi. <laughs> uh, the telenovela on Telemundo of... 20 Tele years Bukapi. later, Bukapi lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Night of the Living Bukaki. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's quite all right. But the thing that I was talking about was... Hot, wet Bukaki. <laughs> in the... In, in oh, the, oh, the humidity is at 100%. The pages... You're so sweaty, the pages stick to you. Call Brodor. <laughs> Bring me Brodor. Get me Brodor. <laughs> So not everybody's going to get this, because... Uh, it's in a negative episode, right? It's a right, negative but, episode. Yeah, so support the Patreon. You'll be able to understand. But, right, that, that's that's not the point here. Right. <laughs> that is absolutely the point, sir. We have got to get you your crazy furry suit with all of your podcasting millions. <laughs> but what the point was is it's, uh, somewhere in all of that, you guys started talking about... The little girl that you guys picked up in the Skies of Glass game. All right, so for anyone who's not up on this, who's <laughs> also not on the Patreon, no, no, this is now public. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You released uh, an AP site. Yeah. Right? So if you go to ap.feartheboot.com, no W is just ap.feartheboot.com, then you will find the Skies of Glass game. There's five episodes, two pregame, and then three actual games. All right. So in the Fifth episode, which is the third actual game setting, the one we most recently recorded, which is also a musical. There, yeah, that one does have the musical in it. You guys picked up a stowaway who was a twelve or thirteen, kind of a, a tween sort of aged girl, who is the granddaughter of the a, devil. She's the granddaughter <laughs> of a wealthy mover and shaker of Herman, Missouri. Who had who basically literally clung to the side of the boat until she was noticed a few hours down the river, and some, she's got some strong grip, strong hands. No, she actually had her hands like tied up within the oh. rope. But anyway, the, the point being though that you guys ended up taking her on board, 
And there is a whole plot line that I have in mind for how this is going to play out, right? Or how this could play out, who she is, what she wants, what she's after, whatever. But I want to talk to you about how that came to be, because this is a great story in paying attention to what it is your players respond to. Because when you guys first brought her on board, I had a few things written in the notes about her personality. So I knew kind of generally what she was like. I knew what her relationship with her grandfather was like. But I had in mind a couple different angles that she could be playing of exactly how intelligent or naive and exactly what is she trying to accomplish and how good or nefarious or, or, or just some shade of gray, you know, and even if some shade of gray, which shade of gray am I going for with her? But I really hadn't given it too much thought until I noticed that you guys were kind of dismissing her at first, right? Right when you first brought her on board. I didn't dismiss her. <laughs> I passed you a note. Oh yeah. I'm not saying you did. You did. But for the most part, I'm talking about you in the, in the general collective here. Okay. You as a group average, you know, kind of dismissed her, tucked her away, put her inside the boat along with Eric Osley's character, Motomar, who's not the brightest bulb on the tree. And but he's I, good at stabbing. He's <sighs> wonderful and childlike and pure. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Until he gets the hint of an idea that maybe possibly something could be wrong, even when nothing's happening. And he has the idea of something's wrong. Then he starts stabbing people. It's it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided, you know what? This girl is in a position, theoretically, to do a lot of things to the party. She is the heiress of the fortune of the guy who has the contract on Brodor's ship and both Brodor and Chad's families. She's educated. We know that from her background. She certainly has things to fear in the town, but also is in a position to know Grandpa's plans and maybe have picked up on some of his ambitions. And there's the open question of where are her parents? Why is she living with Grandpa? Why is she not living with Mom and Dad? Or where are Mom and Dad? What happened to Mom and Dad? And so, the dice determined she's a fucking ninja. And so there was a lot of opportunity with this character and when I realized that the one and only magic trick I know was enough to baffle Eric <laughs> and or his character, <laughs> I suddenly decided that this girl is going to take, hey, she's not what the plot's about, but she is suddenly going to become a much more important NPC than I had ever intended her to be. And I did it partially out of pettiness because of the fact that once again, you and the collective, not not mm. you, Chad, specifically. Because I'm smart. But you and the, the general bell curve of the group were kind of just pushing her aside. And it's like, okay, now I have to turn up. All right, I have to, I have to tighten the clamps a bit here. See, and I get where you're coming from. Uh -huh. I, I really do. But here I am, captain of my boat. I'm getting pulled in a thousand different directions, right? I'm being manipulated by all of these people who are much more intelligent and educated than I am. And hey man, you're the captain. And Lee told you. Yeah, that. don't, don't, no, because out of character, we both know that that's horseshit. But, but, but in character, here's this guy 
whose granddaughter has stowed away mm-hmm. on my boat, right? And he's got the contract that essentially controls the fate yeah. of my family so, so for, and my friend's family. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who's not quite following the story, this would be the equivalent of if, like, the prime minister's granddaughter suddenly shows up at your house. Right. And so what you do is when f***ing demon-possessed Reagan shows up on your boat, you turn around and you take her back to Satan. That's what you do. (laughs) That's what you do, right? You stow her away and you surround her in, you know, reliquaries and f***ing holy water and you keep her at bay so that no one else in the crew gets possessed or whatever. And then you turn the boat around and you bring her back to the devil. That's what you do, right? <laughs> but that's not what happened. There's opportunities to be had. No, yes. no, no, no. So I, I get all of that, right? Yeah. And I wasn't trying to shit on Dan's game. No. I'm simply looking at it from the perspective of here's another hassle that I don't need. That's one. Two, here is someone else who is incredibly intelligent and cunning and educated that I cannot combat in that arena right there's too many sharks on the deck already now there's a new shark on the deck right and it was when we found that that was when the character got interesting to me Mm -hmm. i i love this npc and i love the opportunities with it and that's why my character is arguing with you about right you have an opportunity maybe she is the little demon possessed thing but there's no demon possession in sog she's just really intelligent and she's Intelligent in a way that manipulates people, and she holds her cards very close yeah. to her chest. Right, and I don't, and I don't like that because yeah. Joe's a simple guy, right? And his boat is that's his universe, and it's a very, very simple universe where things make sense. And now I've got Philip and Lee that don't make sense to me, mm-hmm. right? Motomar, did I get it right? He's yeah. he's, he's a light like switch. scary, but right. he, but he's he a light is. switch, right? Yeah. He's, 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 I understand how he functions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either dark or it's light, mm-hmm. right? And right now he's light. Yeah. Okay, actually, right now he's dark. Right. But the point is, I get him, right? Even Casey, to a certain extent, yeah. I understand Casey, but Philip, I don't understand Lee, I don't understand. Mm. Certainly, Emily, I don't understand, right? Yeah. And and that makes me uncomfortable. There's a document I've mentioned in the past that's an integral part of all the games I run, which is something I call the what's really going on document, which is the overarching grand plot that I have in mind for the game. This is what is unfolding in the universe, and if the player characters don't tip the balance or change things, this is probably how it's going to play out. And the player characters then represent that element of chaos that is sufficient to shift that in any number of directions because this is their story, right? It's not my story. It's, it's a story that's our story. And therefore you guys have to be major agents within the plot, at least the way that I choose to run games. And I need to get a copy of this out there for the skies of glass game, because what helped me develop this character was as I was driving home from work prior to that game, I was kind of rolling around in my head. All right, I've got this, this, and this in mind for the game, but it's not quite enough to really carry the game the way I want. The game needs something more. 
There needs to be a little more RP. There needs to be a little bit more mystery. There needs to be a little bit more tension. Where am I going to get that from? And one of my thoughts is, well, I could do this or this. But a lot of it was jumping ahead. It was jumping ahead to bigger plot points that I think need to be uncovered in time. You know, they, they shouldn't be dumped this early in the plot. To where Chad and Brodor's character gets shot in the face. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. Because we got shot in the face. It sucked. <laughs> it, it was unpleasant. Yeah, I was fine. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> but as I was contemplating that, I started thinking, but okay, the wild card in this equation is the granddaughter. And at first, all I had was she was meant to be a bit of confusion for you guys. Of you have someone that represents a very, very difficult choice. Because if you take her back to Grandpa, there's one series of problems. If you don't take her back to Grandpa, there's a series of problems. If you choose to keep her or return her, the reason you make that decision will tell me something about the general motivations of the group. Are you trying to curry favor with the grandfather? Are you using this as a hostage against him? Are you keeping her as, you know, your granddaughter's with us seeing the cherry blossoms at this beautiful Mm -hmm. time of year? It would be unfortunate if an accident befell her. This would tell me something about the party. And we didn't do any of that for any of those reasons. No. And I so I started thinking, though, as I'm still driving home before the game even started, what could be her motivations. Forget the agency of the group, but that is important to me. But she's still her own individual. She's an NPC that is supposed to be more than just naive, frightened little child. Her her opportunity to be something bigger in the plot is there. And so what could possibly be motivating her? What list? And I came up with a list of a whole bunch of different things that could be her angles. And some of them are helpful to you. Some of them are hurtful to you. A lot of them are mixed bag. And when I got to that moment and realized that you guys did not really have a definitive plan of your own for what to do with her, you did not have a strong inclination of we need to do this and here's why, thus making her a major piece on the chessboard, even if it's one you're pushing around, she's not a major piece on the chessboard. I decided at that point, sitting right there, running the game, I'm going to take one of these concepts that I was mulling over in the car on the way home. That's going to be the reality. She will now be a self-moving piece on that chessboard. And when you guys chose, of all people, to put her in the hold with the dumbest guy on the ship, (laughs) it was just all straight downhill from there. Because now suddenly she had every opportunity to outmaneuver and to outthink because it's like playing checkers with the wall. I mean, by the time that you guys realized what was going on, Chad, once again, this is the general you, mm-hmm. you know, this had already gone so far and had gotten so far out of control that it was clear that she was going to represent something bigger, even if only in the near term. But I think this is where, for the sake of the audience, I, of course, don't want to release it to you guys. But for the sake of the audience, I need to get off my ass within the next couple of weeks, get that what's really going on document out there. And maybe this will be, what I don't know, a GM confessional or something, is how she fits into that and what I'm thinking about doing with her in terms of how she fits into the broader plot that's unfolding. But it was kind of an interesting exercise as a game master 
because it was not your guys. See, we always talk about game masters play off of players' fears, throw something out there, hear what the players interpret it to be, whether good or bad, and suddenly they've just written content for you. They just noticed patterns you didn't even intend, whatever it may be. This was reverse. You guys gave me such a vacuum that I was able to fill it with pretty much anything I wanted. So there was a game that we played. It might have been Skies of Glass, like years ago, that you were running. And the people that we were playing with, I think Wayne was one of them. I know Pat was one of them. They they were all very trusting of all the PCs in that they encountered because they came from a sort of D&D tradition where you had alignments paladins were good and rogues were not necessarily evil but sly and swashbuckling and the bad guys were orcs and trolls and demons and dragons and you kicked down doors and you saved princesses and it's like you knew there was a spectrum of color that represented different things but you had the color chart and you knew exactly what was what and i remember and i believe it was a skies of glass game and and i remember we walked we as a party walked into that and everybody was trusting everybody. And I wasn't because I've played with you before and we don't play game. We don't come from that D and D tradition. We came from a different tradition and I'm not saying it D and D bad or anything like that. I don't mean that it's just, it's just different traditions, different ways of looking at the, at the tropes of role playing. And I would, I felt so out of place, right? Everybody was really trusting. I kept telling everybody, you need to be more paranoid. You need to not trust these NPCs. You need to question more. You need to like push more. But it, it's interesting to see it because I, I kind of see it again in this game. Not to that extent, but that people are very trusting. In Joe's character, it's part of his DNA. It, it, right. It's part of the, the character you've created for him to be trusting. I think you can definitely tell a huge difference between me and Chad in the game versus Brodor and Eric because we've played in Skies of Glass before. We've seen the world. Yeah. I think our approach as players is very different than their approach. Mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on anything about it, but we're much more jaded to the world than the other two characters, even though one of the characters is essentially flip a switch and he's crazy. Yeah. I don't think I would have been in the game you're describing because my first game was Skies of Glass. Yeah. And I immediately came in not trusting any of the NPCs. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. It was a long, long But it time may have ago. been that game before I joined the group because yeah. I came in mid-game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, my nature as a player is to be suspicious yeah. and to have that paranoia. But as you said, it's yeah. in Joe's DNA yeah. to be foolishly trusting and you're playing yeah. against type which is great and but i'm also extremely suspicious of this little girl yeah. because she is in the realm of you two are my friends and i'm uncomfortable with your intellect and your mm-hmm. experience this little girl well she is the you know the granddaughter of someone who i've recently discovered manipulated me to tremendous detriment mm-hmm. and and she's on par with your intellect, maybe even superior based on her behavior. And she's not my friend. Right. right? And so you, that's what I say is in the meta game. You know that Wayne and Chad yeah. are not out to ruin your life. Right. Yeah. Well, but, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Philip is not out to ruin my life. I don't know what Lee wants, but I trust that he's my friend. But, yeah. all right, but, but I'm saying in the meta game, you know that Chad and Wayne are not going to burn Brodor's gaming yeah. experience to the ground. Right. And Joe knows Lee and Philip 
our friends. Right. Right. It's but, just that we're sharks. And, that, and they may have their own agendas and things yeah. like that, but but their agenda does not include destroy Joe. It does not include yeah, destroy your right. character. If it did, I would not have allowed now, it. Right. Now this little girl though, you have she's no, a shark too. Yeah. We just don't know what and her in the metagame, you don't know what her angle is. Yeah. Right. And her that's metagame what, and that, could or her her angle could be burn the boat down, yeah. kill you, and ruin and, your and life. And that's is, why my that's why my instinct was put her away in a box. Right. Not that I wanted to f- up your gaming experience as the game master, but my instinct was get her away from everyone and everything so she does not have influence. It would have so. been a great plan if you had not stuck Motomer in there with her. <laughs> but again, you know, I'm not very bright, right? So little girl. And honestly, I did it for two reasons. I figured one, who was going to be the most entertaining for this child, Motomar. Who is, if anybody goes near that little girl, who's going to put a knife in their brain? Motomar. Yeah. So I thought, light switch, light, dark, great. He's great for both occasions. Mm-hmm. He's day wear and evening wear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so from both a meta and in-character perspective on this NPC, in-character, my character sees this huge opportunity. You take this person, you bring them on board, you, you, know, you get them on your side. From a meta standpoint, I know Dan as a GM plays fair with his NPCs. She may be on the boat with every intention of burning it down, but if we present a good case, even if she is predisposed to dislike us, I know we can win over if we're able to, that he won't cheat us of that, that this is a character that can change as we go on. So from both an in-character and meta, I see the opportunity with this NPC to Bring her on board. Make her one of us. And see, that's the thing that I love about your two characters. You both have a similar quality that, yes, you both have experience with Skies of Glass. Yes, you are both less trusting, but you both have a tremendous amount of optimism and vision in terms of what life can be. So there's a positivity about you both that Joe really <laughs> likes, right? I mean, Lee's talking about talking about we're going to do this with the vineyard and we're going to do that with the vineyard and we're going to have this expansion and that expansion. And you know what? Not only not only, Joe, are you going to keep your boat, but we're going to barn so hard. You're going to have a fleet of boats. You're going to have a merchant fleet going down the river. He sees his optimism. I just think both of our characters are very opportunistic. We yeah. see an opportunity and we're uh, tomato, going to tomato. So Lee's <laughs> version or Lee's view of the girl is I passed Dan a note that said, I, I forget what, exactly what it said, but basically like Lee does not trust her. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was exactly that. Yeah. Lee doesn't trust her. I'm watching her. Yeah. Which meant that as a game master, once again, because I play fair, mm-hmm. if she was doing anything that would be outwardly, noticeable yeah so if she was like you know writing something in a journal <laughs> taking or, a drill to the bottom of the boat precisely the, yeah chad would at least get a roll yeah. on it at yeah. the very least and a probably a pretty gentle low target number yeah. roll at that that i mean obviously there's some metagaming there as as there is in anything but lee as a character does not trust her his mind his thinking is she could be getting away from her parents or her grandparents her guardians because she's very smart and the town changed hands to a different uh, faction and the, the factions of St. Louis take smart children away and do things to them. That's what Lee, that's what happened to Lee. That's what Lee is. That, that happened to him. 
he believes maybe she that's going to happen to her and that she's running away from that or that her guardian sent her to at best spy on us or at worst sabotage us thirdly lee sees her as an opportunity that's anywhere from she's an agent he just doesn't know what kind of agent and he's going to try and turn her or that uh he's going to use her as a hostage and he's not going to use apple juice because <laughs> Lee's a lot like Motomar, where there's a, a light switch. There's a light and dark. It's just that with Lee, it's not a switch. It's dimmer. Right. So, with yeah. With Philip, on the other hand, his one of his in-character motivations is from the moment that they you know pulled her out of the tent, he thought of her. She reminds him of his little sister. So there is a Your protective... potty mouth little sister. <laughs> yep. There Card is a... sharp. Yeah. There is a Hot protective yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a protective aspect to his character of for this girl because she reminds him of his little sister. But he also sees it as this huge opportunity. Yeah, Lee is on one hand he's very positive and the merchant fleet, we're gonna screw it, we're gonna do this. And he's very positive because he's very young and he is naturally a positive guy. Lee is also a cynic because of what is going on in St. Louis? The 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 situation that is not a specific thing, but life in St. Louis. And as Dan and I described, the game that is played in St. Louis, it, it turned him cynical, which is a character flaw. And it's one that I am very interested in exploring and seeing if I could somehow redeem Lee. And Lee is doing bad things on the side that the players know about to a certain extent and dan and i are keeping it on the download so that they're surprised but the characters know nothing about and the one or two actually so far two instances where lee has done something that is not good and makes him untrustworthy has slid by the characters completely and so i I think the players picked up the players i think picked up on one of them you didn't pick up on the other one which is cool and I'm almost wondering, do like in this sort of meta thing, like you're talking about with the girl, Dan, it, it's like with Lee, do I want to have Lee make a mistake on a meta level? Do I want to have him make an error so, so that he gets caught, so that there it forces a role play situation? This is, and herein lies the gaming advice that I think might be useful to some of our listeners, which is we talk a lot about how information speculation, paranoia, gives a game master a lot of room to find inspiration, to maneuver, to set things up. But this is a very reverse case. Mm -hmm. So you you can hear as they talk the speculation, how they're coming to these conclusions, why they think one of a list of things is most probably true. Which is both based on facts and on character personality rather than facts. Precisely. But this did not come. See, this speculation came after the fact. Mm -hmm. What came first was the vacuum gave me room to maneuver. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that I had a big empty space where I had this character who was completely undeveloped, all I had established was she exists. We had established that in the prior game. She exists. That's as far as we'd gotten. They rescued her, they delivered her back to her grandpa, Mr. Barnes, and that was as far as they had really gotten. So all we've established is she exists, but clearly she's related to important people. And so what I was able to do was to insert her 
back into the plot to give me an opportunity to say, okay, this is a button I'm going to put in place ahead of time. So if the game starts slowing down or if things aren't getting revealed quick enough or if there's not enough going on and you guys are just getting bored or you need something new to role play with, I've now got this blank sheet already in place. I've got a button I can already push, a lever I can already pull sitting there in place, ready to go for whatever it is that I choose to do with her. And since she got introduced and since some of that got developed, I now do have at least a a shotgun spread of what she wants. I still haven't decided exactly, but I know generally what her intentions and loyalties are because I now have to run her consistently, Mm -hmm. right? Even if, I mean, she might lie to you guys, but within the metagame, I'm a fair GM. She needs to be consistent in terms of what she's about. Not immutable, Wayne, as you pointed out. She's human. She can be convinced otherwise. But she at least needs to have internal consistency to her character and how she fits into the world. But it is that vacuum that gave me the opportunity to put something in place so that if I ever needed to control the pacing of the game, speed it up, slow it down, draw your attention somewhere else, that button was already in place. We get a lot of people that ask us, you know, okay, my game is slowing down. I've hit this dead point. What do I do to speed it up? And there are things you can do. We've talked about them in the past. Blow something up. You know, when in doubt, something outside explodes. But you can also choose to be proactive about that. You can choose to put things in place that you come back and develop later. And it's not just her. Chad's bodyguard, Casey, he's only partially developed. Mm -hmm. I developed him more when he had a short conversation with Brodor about the ways that human beings develop. And he's not a super hyper-intelligent shark of a guy, right? He's more of an everyman. He's a mountain. He's a beautiful singing voice. Yeah, he's a mountain. Well, yes, he's a beautiful singing voice, and he's a mountain pit-fighting, mm-hmm. horribly deadly everyman. But nonetheless, he's, he's mentally the everyman. And he had a talk with you about how people develop and the influences right. and the, the impact on and, them. And that moment when I looked at this, you know, for lack of a better term, killing machine, this man who has been physically manipulated and engineered mm-hmm. for to destroy and kill for entertainment and how he developed into look that's not who I have to be right even though this is how I was made that's not necessarily who I am right and you know how joe was raised isn't necessarily who he's going to be in the future And that this, as Philip and Lee had already pointed out, there was an opportunity for Emily to be something different than was originally intended for her. That was the moment where I was like, okay, well, we've already made the decision to not turn around. Maybe we can have some influence on this young lady. But then on top of that, there's also, you guys have six workers on the boat. Right. And any one of them could be dusted off at any given moment. These are things already in place. You guys gave me NPCs. I have the names of your mothers and fathers and siblings and friends. And and, in Wayne's case, one, he's not quite an enemy. He's a friendly rivalry. Yes, it's a friendly rivalry. And so I, you know, I've got these things in place that a vacuum is already present. And I, as a GM and mindful of that, I'm mindful of the things that aren't 
being said. And in the same way, if you're running your game and people walk into a town, look, if that town has a population of a thousand people and you define five, guess what? There's 995 you can still work with. And even mm-hmm. amongst those five, there may be many of those five. I mean, it could be four of the five, five of the five that you barely develop beyond an occupation. Keep those in the back of your head because these are opportunities. You've given yourself buttons to push. These people, the blacksmith who did nothing but sell them swords, can suddenly need iron from another town or can suddenly have a crisis within his family or can suddenly have his own ambitions on the throne. You know, think, Be mindful as a game master of the opportunities you are creating for yourself but may not be fully leveraging. I think the one of the good ways that you did that is going back to Casey, where he is a blank slate. I mean, he is tall, pit fighter, and he didn't even have a beautiful singing voice. That was just something that I made up to throw people off. They're like, who is this guy? He's so scary. Scary. He's got a beautiful singing voice. It's sort of that became the running joke. You did something that I think speaks to his character that I'm... I'm not 100% sure you are aware of that you did it, but it cements his character in my mind where Joe and Lee are having an argument and it gets heated. Joe asks Lee, can you swim? And Lee is wearing a big metal piece of armor and he's like, not in this, not understanding what Joe was saying. And then Joe starts coming towards him to literally throw him overboard. And he... Lee, who is like a waif, I mean, he has no body, he has, he can't fight back at, at anything. He just yells out, Casey, as he's backing up. And you describe that Casey comes up and puts this gigantic ham of a fist on Joe's shoulder and then turns him around and then points at the horizon where there's a boat coming. <laughs> and it, the subtlety of that, of the man handled the situation without violence. Or causing anyone to lose face. The man handled the situation better than 95% of players would have. Yes, absolutely. And and it's like the just the subtle layers of this character, there's so much unspoken about him. And then he's, he said a few lines, he had a, a really nice monologue, and he's done these actions. And it's all coming from a blank slate because you can take this blank slate, you have a vague idea in your mind. And you respond to situations which draw out the personality. And as long as you keep it consistent and interesting, it's a great character. Right. All right. So if you guys want to catch up on this particular game, ap.feartheboot.com, this is, well, I'd say it's not going to be the new direction of Fear the Boot. But look, like any other gamers, the games that we have the most information on and the most desire to talk about is the ones we're playing right now. Mm-hmm. So it'll at least be the new shiny for a little bit, but anyway, and they're free to everybody. Well, and I, I think that the, for me as a game master, the most valuable thing that I took away from this episode is this conversation and doing postmortems at the end of a game session and having occasional states of the union with your players and having a conversation exactly like this, at your table about the game, about the characters, about the direction of the game. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Casey! Now he's, (laughs) I love Casey. He's great. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. 
Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.